Book One, Canto One, Legend of the Knight of the Red Cross. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Fairy Queen by Edmund Spencer. Book One, Canto One. The patron of true holiness, foul error doth defeat. Hypocrisy him to entrap, doth to his home entreat. A gentle knight was pricking on the plain, a clad in mighty arms and silver shield, wherein old dints of deeper wounds did remain, the cruel marks of many a bloody field. Yet armies till that time did he never wield, his angry steed did chide his foaming bit, As much disdaining to the curb to yield. Full jolly knight he seemed, and fair did sit, As one for knightly jousts and fierce encounters fit. But on his breast a bloody cross he bore, The dear remembrance of his dying lord, For whose sweet sake that glorious badge he wore and dead as living ever him adored. Upon his shield the like was also scored, for sovereign hope which in his help he had. Right faithful true he was, in deed and word, but of his cheer did seem too solemn sad. Yet nothing did he dread, but ever was a drad. Upon a great adventure he was bound, That greatest Gloriana to him gave, That greatest glorious queen of fairyland, To win him worship, and her grace to have, Which of all earthly things he most did crave. And ever as he rode, his heart did earn To prove his puissance in battle brave Upon his foe and his new force to learn, upon his foe, a dragon, horrible and stern. A lovely lady rode him fair beside, upon a lowly ass more white than snow, yet she much whiter, but the same did hide under a veil that wimpled was full low. And over all a black stole she did throw, As one that inly mourned. So was she sad, And heavy sat upon her palfrey slow. Seemed in heart some hidden care she had. And by her in a line A milk-white lamb she lad. So pure and innocent as that same lamb She was in life and every virtuous lore. And by descent from royal lineage came, Of ancient kings and queens, That had of yore their sceptres stretched From east to western shore, And all the world in their subjection held, Till that infernal fiend with foul uproar Forwasted all their land, and them expelled, Whom to avenge she had this night from far compelled. 
Behind her, far away, a dwarf did lag, That lazy seemed in being everlast, Or wearied with bearing of her bag of needments at his back. Thus as they passed, the day with clouds was sudden overcast, And angry love an hideous storm of rain did pour Into his lemon's lap so fast, That every white to shroud it did constrain, And this fair couple eke to shroud themselves were fain. Enforced to seek some covert nigh at hand, a shady grove not far away they spied, That promised aid the tempest to withstand, Whose lofty trees, a-clad with summer's pride, Did spread so broad that heaven's light did hide, Not pierceable with power of any star. And all within were paths and alleys wide, With footing worn, and leading inward far. Fair harbour that them seems, so in they entered are. And forth they pass, with pleasure forward led, Joying to hear the birds' sweet harmony, Which therein shrouded from the tempest dread, Seemed in their song to scorn the cruel sky. Much can they praise the trees so straight and high, The sailing pine, the cedar, proud and tall, the vine-prop elm, the poplar never dry, the builder-oak, sole king of forests all, the aspen good for staves, the cypress funeral, the laurel mead of mighty conquerors and poets sage, the fir that weepeth still, the willow worn of forlorn paramours, the yew obedient to the bender's will, The birch for shafts, the sallow for the mill, The myrrh sweet bleeding in the bitter wound, The warlike beech, the ash for nothing ill, The fruitful olive and the platane round, The carver holm, the maple seldom inward sound. Led with delight, they thus beguile the way, until the blustering storm is overblown. When weaning to return whence they did stray, they cannot find that path which first was shown, but wander to and fro in ways unknown, furthest from end then when they nearest wean, that makes them doubt their wits be not their own. So many paths, so many turnings seen. The which of them to take, in diverse doubt they been. At last, resolving forward still to fare, Till that some end they find, or in or out, That path they take, that beaten seemed most bare, And like to lead the labyrinth about, Which, when by tract they hunted, had throughout, at length it brought them to a hollow cave amid the thickest woods. The champion stout eftsoons dismounted from his courser brave, And to the dwarf a while his needless spear he gave. Be well aware, quoth then that lady mild, Lest sudden mischief ye too rash provoke, The danger hid, the place unknown and wild, Breeds dreadful doubts. Oft fire is without smoke, and peril without show. 
Therefore your stroke, Sir Knight, withhold, Till further trial made. Ah, lady, said he, Shame were to revoke the forward footing For an hidden shade. Virtue gives herself light Through darkness for to wade. Yea, but, quoth she, The peril of this place I better wot than you, Though now too late to wish you back return With foul disgrace, Yet wisdom warns, whilst foot is in the gate, to stay the step, ere forced to retreat. This is the wandering wood, this error's den, a monster vile whom God and man does hate. Therefore I read, beware! Fly, fly, quoth then the fearful dwarf, this is no place for living men. But full of fire and greedy hardiment, the youthful knight could not for aught be stayed, but forth unto the darksome hole he went and looked in. His glistering armour made a little glooming light much like a shade, by which he saw the ugly monster plain. Half like a serpent, horribly displayed, but the other half did woman's shape retain, Most loathsome, filthy, foul, and full of vile disdain. And as she lay upon the dirty ground, Her huge long tail, her den all overspread, Yet was in knots, and many bouts upwound, Pointed with mortal sting. Of her, there bred a thousand young ones, Which she daily fed, Sucking upon her poisonous dugs, Each one of sundry shapes, Yet all ill-favoured. Soon as that uncouth light upon them shone, Into her mouth they crept, And sudden all were gone. Their dam upstart, Out of her den afraid, And rushed forth, Hurling her hideous tail about her cursed head, Whose folds displayed were stretched now forth at length without entrail. She looked about, and seeing one in mail armed to point, Sought back to turn again, for light she hated as the deadly bale, I won't in desert darkness to remain, where plain none might her see, nor she see any plain. Which, when the valiant elf perceived, he leapt as lion fierce upon the flying prey, and with his trenchant blade her boldly kept from turning back, and forced her to stay. Therewith enraged, she loudly gan to bray, and turning fierce her speckled tail advanced, threatening her angry sting, him to dismay, who, nought aghast, his mighty hand enhanced, the stroke down from, her head unto her shoulder glanced. Much daunted with that dint, her sense was dazed, yet, kindling rage, Herself she gathered round, and all at once her beastly body Raised with double forces high above the ground. 
though wrapping up her wreathed stern around, leapt fierce upon his shield, and her huge train all suddenly about his body wound, that hand or foot to stir he strove in vain. God help the man, so wrapped in error's endless train. His lady, sad to see his sore constraint, cried out, Now, now, Sir Knight, show what ye be, add faith unto your force, and be not faint. Strangle her, else she sure will strangle thee. That when he heard, in great perplexity his gall did great for grief and high disdain, and knitting all his force, got one hand free, wherewith he gripped her gorge, with so great pain, that soon to loose her wicked bands did her constrain. Therewith she spewed out of her filthy maw a flood of poison, horrible and black, full of great lumps of flesh, and gobbets raw which stunk so vildly that it forced him slack his grasping hold, and from her turn him back. Her vomit, full of books and papers, was, with loathly frogs and toads, which eyes did lack, and creeping sought way in the weedy grass. Her filthy pa-break all the place defiled has. As when old father Nilus gins to swell with timely pride above the Egyptian vale, his fatty waves do fertile slime outwell, and overflow each plain and lowly dale. But when his later spring gins to avail, huge heaps of mud he leaves, wherein there breed ten thousand kinds of creatures, partly male and partly female, of his fruitful seed, such ugly monstrous shapes elsewhere may no man read. The same so sore annoyed has the knight, that well nigh choked with the deadly stink, his forces fail, ne can no longer fight, whose courage, when the fiend perceived to shrink, she poured forth out of her hellish sink, her fruitful cursed spawn of serpents small, deformed monsters foul and black as ink, which, swarming all about his legs, did crawl, and him encumbered sore, but could not hurt at all. As gentle shepherd in sweet eventide, when ruddy Phoebus gins to whelk in west, high on an hill, his flock to view in wide, Marks which do bite their hasty supper best, A cloud of cumbrous gnats do him molest, All striving to infix their feeble stings, That from their noyance he nowhere can rest, But with his clownish hands their tender wings He brusheth oft, and oft doth mar their murmurings. Thus ill-bestead, and fearful more of shame, than of the certain peril he stood in. Half furious unto his foe he came, resolved in mind all suddenly to win, or soon to lose, 
before he once would lean, and struck at her with more than manly force, that from her body, full of filthy sin, he raft her hateful head without remorse. A stream of coal-black blood forth gushed from her course. Her scattered brood, soon as their parent dear they saw so rudely falling to the ground, groaning full deadly, all with troublous fear, gathered themselves about her body round, weaning their wonted entrance to have found at her wide mouth, but being there withstood, they flocked all about her bleeding wound, and sucked up their dying mother's blood, making her death their life, and eke her hurt their good. That detestable sight him much amazed, to see the unkindly imps of heaven accursed devour their dam, on whom, while so he gazed, having all satisfied their bloody thirst, their bellies swollen he saw with fullness burst, and bowels gushing forth. Well were the end of such as drunk her life, the which them nursed. Now needeth him no longer labour spend, his foes have slain themselves, with whom he should contend. His lady, seeing all that chanced, from far, approached in haste to greet his victory, and said, Fair knight, born under happy star, who see your vanquished foes before you lie, well worthy be you of that armoury wherein ye have great glory won this day, and proved your strength on a strong enemy your first adventure. Many such, I pray, and henceforth ever wish, that like succeed it may. Then mounted he upon his steed again, and with the lady backward sought to wend. That path he kept, which beaten was most plain, ne ever would to any byway bend, but still did follow, one unto the end, the which at last out of the wood them brought. So forward on his way with God to friend, he passed forth, and new adventure sought. Long way he travelled, before he heard of aught. At length they chanced to meet upon the way an aged sire, in long black weeds a-clad, his feet all bare, his beard all hoary grey, and by his belt his book he hanging had. Sober he seemed, and very sagely sad, and to the ground his eyes were lowly bent, simple in show, and void of malice bad. And all the way he prayed as he went, and often knocked his breast, as one that did repent. He fair the knight saluted, louting low, who fair him quieted, as that courteous was, and after asked him if he did know of strange adventures which abroad did pass. Ah, my dear son, quoth he, how should, alas, 
silly old man that lives in hidden cell, bidding his beads all day for his trespass, tidings of war and worldly trouble tell. With holy father sits not with such things to mell. But if of danger which hereby doth dwell, And home-bred evil ye desire to hear, Of a strange man I can you tidings tell, That wasteth all this country far and near. Of such, said he, I chiefly do inquire, And shall you well reward to show the place, In which that wicked wight his days doth wear. For to all knighthood it is foul disgrace That such a cursed creature lives so long a space. Far hence, quoth he, in wastful wilderness his dwelling is, By which no living wight may ever pass, But thorough great distress. Now, said the lady, draweth toward night, And well I wot that of your later fight ye all forwearied be, for what so strong but wanting rest will also want of might? The sun that measures heaven all day long, at night, doth bait his steeds the ocean waves among. Then with the sun take, sir, your timely rest, and with new day new work at once begin. Untroubled night, they say, gives counsel best. Right well, sir knight, ye have advised been, quoth then that aged man, the way to win is wisely to advise. Now day is spent, therefore with me ye may take up your inn for this same night. The knight was well content, so with that godly father to his home they went. A little lowly hermitage it was, down in a dale hard by a forest side, far from resort of people that did pass in travel to and fro. A little wide there was an holy chapel edified, wherein the hermit duly wont to say his holy things each morn and eventide. Thereby a crystal stream did gently play, which from a sacred fountain welled forth all way. Arrived there the little house they fill, ne look for entertainment where none was. Rest is their feast, and all things at their will. The noblest mind the best contentment has. With fair discourse the evening so they pass, For that old man of pleasing words had store, And well could file his tongue as smooth as glass. He told of saints and popes, and evermore He strode an Ave Mary, after and before. The drooping night thus creepeth on them fast, And the sad humour loading their eyelids, As messenger of Morpheus on them cast, Sweet slumbering dew, the which to sleep them bids. Unto their lodgings then his guests he rids, Where, when all drowned in deadly sleep he finds, He to his study goes, And there, amidst his magic books And arts of sundry kinds, he seeks out mighty charms to trouble sleepy minds. Then choosing out few words most horrible, let none them read, thereof did verses frame, with which and other spells like terrible, he bade awake black Pluto's grisly dame, and cursed heaven, 
and spake reproachful shame of highest God, the Lord of life and light, a bold, bad man, that dared to call by name great Gorgon, prince of darkness and dead night, at which Cocytus quakes, and Styx is put to flight. And forth he called, out of deep darkness dread, legions of sprites, the which, like little flies fluttering about his ever-damned head, await whereto their service he applies, to aid his friends, or fray his enemies. Of those he chose out two, the falsest two, and fittest for to forge true-seeming lies. The one of them he gave a message to, the other by himself stayed, other work to do. He, making speedy way through spursed air, and through the world of waters wide and deep, to Morpheus' house doth hastily repair, amid the bowels of the earth full steep, and lo, where dawning day doth never peep his dwelling is. There Tethys his wet bed doth ever wash, and Cynthia still doth steep in silver dew his ever-drooping head, while sad night over him her mantle black doth spread. Whose double gates he findeth locked fast, the one fair framed of burnished ivory, the other all with silver overcast, and wakeful dogs before them far do lie, watching to banish care their enemy, who oft is wont to trouble gentle sleep. By them the sprite doth pass in quietly, and unto Morpheus comes, whom drowned deep in drowsy fit he finds, of nothing he takes keep. And more, to lull him in his slumber soft, A trickling stream from high rock tumbling down, And ever drizzling rain upon the loft, Mixed with a murmuring wind, Much like the sound of swarming bees, No other noise, nor people's troublous cries, As still are wont to annoy the walled town, Might there be heard. But careless quiet lies, Wrapped in eternal silence, far from enemies. The messenger approaching to him spake, but his waste words returned to him in vain, so sound he slept that naught might him awake. Then rudely he him thrust and pushed with pain, whereat he gan to stretch, but he again shook him so hard that forced him to speak. As one then in a dream, whose drier brain is tossed with troubled sights and fancies weak, he mumbled soft, but would not all his silence break. The sprite then gan more boldly him to wake, and threatened unto him the dreaded name of Hecate, whereat he gan to quake, and lifting up his lumpish head, with blame half angry, asked him for what he came. Hither, quoth he, me Archimago sent, He that the stubborn sprites can wisely tame. He bids thee to him send for his intent A fit false dream that can delude the sleeper's scent. The god obeyed, and calling forth straightway A diverse dream out of his prison dark, Delivered it to him, and down did lay his heavy head devoid of careful cark, 
whose senses all were straight benumbed and stark. He back returning by the ivory door, remounted up as light as cheerful lark, and on his little wings the dream he bore in haste unto his lord, where he him left afore. Who all this while, with charms and hidden arts, had made a lady of that other sprite, and framed of liquid air her tender parts, so lively and so like in all men's sight, that weaker sense it could have ravished quite. The maker-self, for all his wondrous wit, was nigh beguiled with so goodly sight. Her all in white he clad, and over it cast a black stole, most like to seem for Una fit. Now, when that idle dream was to him brought, unto that elfin knight he bade him fly, where he slept soundly, void of evil thought, and with false shows abuse his fantasy, in sort as he him schooled privily. And that new creature, born without her due, full of the maker's guile, with usage sly, he taught to imitate that lady true, whose semblance she did carry, under feigned hue. Thus, well instructed, to their work they haste, and coming where the knight in slumber lay, the one upon his hardy head him plast, and made him dream of loves and lustful play, that nigh his manly heart did melt away, bathed in wanton bliss and wicked joy. Then seemed him his lady by him lay, and to him plained how that false-winged boy her chaste heart had subdued to learn Dame Pleasure's toy. And she herself of beauty, sovereign queen, fair Venus seemed unto his bed to bring her, whom he waking evermore did wean to be the chastest flower that I did spring on earthly branch, the daughter of a king, now a loose lemon to vile service bound. And eke the graces seemed all to sing, hymen yo hymen, dancing all around, whilst freshest flora her with ivy garland crowned. In this great passion of unwonted lust, or wonted fear of doing aught amiss, he started up, as seeming to mistrust some secret ill or hidden foe of his. Lo, there before his face, his lady is, under black stole hiding her baited hook, and as half-blushing offered him to kiss, with gentle blandishment and lovely look, most like that virgin true, which for her knight him took. All clean dismayed to see so uncouth sight, and half enraged at her shameless guise, he thought have slain her in his fierce despite. But hasty heat, tempering with sufferance wise, he stayed his hand, and gan himself advise to prove his sense, and tempt her feigned truth. Wringing her hands in women's piteous wise, though can she weep to stir up gentle ruth, both for her noble blood, and for her tender youth, and said, Ah, sir, 
my liege lord and my love, Shall I accuse the hidden cruel fate And mighty causes wrought in heaven above, Or the blind god that doth me thus amate For hoped love to win me certain hate? Yet thus perforce he bids me do, or die, Die is my due, yet rue my wretched state, you, whom my hard avenging destiny hath made judge of my life or death indifferently. Your own dear sake forced me at first to leave my father's kingdom. There she stopped with tears. Her swollen heart, her speech, seemed to bereave, and then again begun. My weaker years, captive to fortune and frail worldly fears, Fly to your faith for succour and sure aid. Let me not die in languor and long tears. Why, dame, quoth he, what hath ye thus dismayed? What frays ye that were wont to comfort me afraid? Love of yourself, she said, and dear constraint lets me not sleep, but waste the weary night in secret anguish and unpitied plaint, whiles you in careless sleep are drowned quite. Her doubtful words made that redoubted knight suspect her truth. Yet since no untruth he knew, her fawning love with foul disdainful spite he would not shend, but said, Dear dame, I rue that for my sake unknown, Such grief unto you grew. Assure yourself it fell not all to ground, For all so dear as life is to my heart, I deem your love, and hold me to you bound. Ne let vain fears procure your needless smart, Where cause is none, but to your rest depart. Not all content, yet seemed she to appease her mournful plaints, Beguiled of her art, and fed with words that could not choose but please. So sliding softly forth, she turned as to her ease. Long after lay he musing at her mood, Much grieved to think that gentle dame so light, For whose defence he was to shed his blood, at last, Dull weariness of former fight, Having a rock to sleep his irksome sprite, That troublous dream gan freshly toss his brain, With bowers and beds and ladies' dear delight. But when he saw his labour all was vain, With that misformed sprite he back returned again. End of Canto 1